1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science Podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking to one of the co-authors of Urban Neighborhoods in a New Era, Revitalization Politics in the Post-Industrial City. The book is published by University of Chicago Press in 2015. That co-author that I'll be talking to is Robert Stoker. Uh, he is joined by a, a large number of co-authors that will be listed on the website. I, I really hope that you enjoy the interview that I did with Robert Stoker today. Welcome back to the podcast. Again, my name is Heath Brown, and today I have the pleasure uh, for the first time of having one of my former graduate school instructors on the line to talk about the book that he is a co-author of. Robert Stoker, along with a group of other authors, have uh, written Urban Neighborhoods in a New Era, uh, Revitalization Politics in the Post-Industrial City, published by the University of Chicago Press this year. Bob Stoker, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing very well, Heath, and it's a great pleasure to speak with you. We're all very proud of you at
1: GW. Well, I'm uh, so thrilled to have you on and to be able to talk about your work. I feel like it isn't that long ago that I was in your class, but uh, I guess we won't actually do the math to figure out how long ago that was. Instead, maybe let's hear just a little bit about yourself. I know who you are, but maybe others don't know all the details, so maybe you could just share a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure, I'm happy to. I'm uh, Robert Stoker. I'm a member of the Political Science Department faculty at George Washington University. I've been at GW since 1985. I'm also a founding member of the Trachtenberg School of Public Policy and Public Administration, and I teach courses in policy analysis, program evaluation, uh, social policy, and urban
1: politics. Great. So you note in the preface to this book um, that the the book comes out of a conference that was held in Bellagio, Italy. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that that conference and the workshop and the larger research project, and also how you um, sort of the, the structure of a co-authored book with a number of different authors, presumably in very different locations. And so maybe you could tell us the origin story of this book.
0: Yes, I'm, I'm happy to, to the extent that I can. But I should begin by saying that... Um, One of the uh, things that Clarence Stone, uh, the primary co-author in this book, should apologize to me about is that I did not get to attend the conference in Bellagio.
1: It seems wrong.
0: It's uh, it's a profound injustice. There's no question about that. But um, I I do know the story, the backstory on the project. And so I'll be happy to share that. Um, Clarence Stone, who, of course, is a a, a very uh, renowned urban scholar, uh, decided to initiate a project called the Regenerating Urban Neighborhoods Project or Run. And uh, he recruited teams of scholars from really all across the world to uh undertake a neighborhood focused uh analysis. And uh the project eventually um uh split into uh, two different groups, one of which focused on North America and the other of which focused on uh, the European Union. And uh, this book that we're discussing today is uh, the result of the North American groups, uh, you know, uh, research and report on what it is that we found in investigating the status of urban neighborhoods in the post-industrial city.
1: Yeah, and let's let's talk about just that. Um, the, the book is about cities, um, but it's also about the change in the approach to cities from wh- what you describe as a pro-growth economic development approach to to a focus on neighborhoods. I wonder if maybe you could first introduce us to the former um, and, and what dominated the agenda of urban economic growth development. Sure. Uh,
0: in the book, we talk about what we term the redevelopment era which began at the end of the Second World War and pushed up through part of the 1980s. There's no uh, direct end point when you can say, aha, that's where the redevelopment era ended. But it started to peter out in the 1980s. And what was happening during the redevelopment period is uh, we were seeing cities go through the transition from an industrial economic foundation to a post-industrial economic foundation. And there was a great deal of emphasis placed in cities on the physical redevelopment of the city, uh, the revitalization of downtown, the uh, construction of uh, uh, expressways to connect downtown to the growing suburbs. And this was really a high priority agenda in virtually uh, all significant uh, cities across the United States.
1: And what about the novel approach that that you and your co-authors take in the book? What what does it mean to focus on neighborhoods?
0: Well a lot of urban research uh, begins with uh, you know where the action is and they they look primarily at downtown redevelopment areas at uh, what it is that the local elites are trying to accomplish uh, what their high-priority agenda is and how they accomplish that. And The consistent story that folks uh, heard from the urban literature that was examining the redevelopment period is that neighborhood priorities were secondary at best. That neighborhoods were really being isolated and frozen out of uh, the key pro-growth coalitions that were dominating local politics. And that was the, the fundamental message of the urban literature. We started in a different place we said okay let's let's take a look at what's actually going on in neighborhoods in the post industrial city and so rather than focusing on downtown, we decided to focus on neighborhood and community level activities
1: Now, the authors in the book focus on um, six cities, five of the six in the United States and also one in Canada. Yes. Uh, why these six and and what do they represent? Well, the cities uh, you know
0: are what would usually be uh identified in the literature as a convenience sample which means um you know we were able to attract the participation of uh urban scholars of significant accomplishment and and reputation and they happened to uh be located in these cities and so people did research that was focused on the city where they live
1: so the the chapter that uh you take a, it looks it appears as though you take a lead on is is the chapter on on Baltimore and, and Baltimore is a, a city that has um, kind of gotten attention over the last number of years. Um, you described several somewhat popular, certainly well known, but but relatively ineffective Baltimore mayors. Uh, I wonder if you could contrast for us the uh, uh, time of Donald Schaefer with the time of Martin O'Malley in terms of how they address the persistent problems faced by the city.
0: Sure. Um- you know, Donald Schaefer, who, uh, like O'Malley, went on to become governor of Baltimore, was really the sort of uh, uh, ultimate, uh, you know, redevelopment pro-growth coalition mayor. And so he is the fellow who is credited with uh, having organized and implemented uh, what is often referred to as the Baltimore Renaissance, which primarily is focused on the uh downtown redevelopment, particularly for those of you who might be uh, more familiar with Baltimore, um, the tourist attractions around the Inner Harbor and things such as that, um, where uh, Schaefer is the person who is given credit for leading Baltimore from the industrial past to the post-industrial future through the execution of a downtown redevelopment agenda. Now, by contrast, Martin O'Malley was a mayor who, uh, you know, entered during the post-industrial period. Uh, The uh, downtown redevelopment had already been largely completed. And at that point, there was a fundamental difference in the nature of, of local politics that confronted O'Malley with a very different situation. Whereas it was easier for Schaefer to pull together a group of local business and civic and foundation elites to implement the downtown redevelopment agenda, O'Malley had to confront a different problem. And this is one of the key findings that I think is uh, is important to emphasize in the book. Uh, the nature of urban politics has changed in the sense that the coalitions that dominated during the redevelopment period, uh, are no longer as cohesive or as active or as powerful as they once were. And this was the context in which O'Malley was working, where urban power has become much more fragmented and ad hoc than was true in Schaeffer's era. And we look at this in the book, and we primarily explain it as a result of the shift that occurred from the redevelopment period to the post-industrial period, in which the nature of elite actors changed, and the nature of the agenda that elite actors were pursuing changed.
1: And in, in both cases, they they seem to fail to to appreciate uh, the the role that that neighborhoods and neighborhood leaders might play in the, in the future of of the city. Uh, what would it look like for for a mayor of Baltimore or a mayor of any of the cities that uh, that are, uh, were written about in the book uh, to to uh, you know, have have the neighborhoods play a part in uh, developing policy or 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 setting the agenda or or moving the city city ahead? Are there uh, uh, cases where this has worked well? It doesn't seem like in Baltimore it's worked all that well. Are there places that stand out to you that that are success stories?
0: Well, in terms of the analyses that we saw in the book, um, the the story that probably gives us the most hope would be uh, the story in Phoenix and. What it is that stood out about Phoenix in contrast to all of the other uh, cities that were examined as part of the run project is that Phoenix is very much of a of a good government setting where um, the city uh, government administration is dominated by a city manager uh, who has surrounded himself with a very capable and professionalized staff. At the same time the city management recognized that neighborhood distress was an important concern. And so they created local level institutions that were connected to city government that over time made the improvement of distressed neighborhoods within Phoenix a continuing priority. And so as opportunities to receive federal money shifted over time, um, the professionals in Phoenix were able to adjust their agenda and continue to attract resources and target them where they had the greatest need. Now that more systematic approach stands in contrast to what you see in, in a place like Baltimore, where policymaking is much more ad hoc and opportunistic. So in Baltimore uh, there are efforts to include neighborhoods in uh in current redevelopment programs, but it only happens on a very sort of accidental, um, uh, ad hoc basis. There's no systematic attempt to integrate neighborhoods or neighborhood concerns into the policymaking process. So if I were to talk about one factor that would make the big difference, it would be to institutionalize those concerns in local government.
1: And and I guess this this is one of the parts of the book that I found most interesting, which is sort of the step when we step back a bit from the cases to to look at some larger themes, uh, and and larger themes like the the writing of Robert Dahl. So I wonder if you could place this into a larger conversation about pluralism, for instance. Um, is this is this a, a a call for a different type of pluralism, or for a uh, recognition that the the pluralism of the past might. Um, play a better part, a more fuller part in the politics of today?
0: Yes, well, certainly um, the connection to pluralism is a very important theoretical concern in our book. Uh, However, I I think that we would we would want to distinguish ourselves from the sort of historical development of pluralism and place ourselves more in the uh, critics of pluralism uh, category. So um, One of the uh, substantial and important critiques of pluralist uh, theories is that there are irregular uh, opportunities that folks have to participate in the policy making process and to mobilize and express their views. And one of the things that we thought was extremely important is that distressed neighborhoods can um, either be living in a political context where their capacity is enhanced And their ability to participate is somehow facilitated by local politics, or they can live in a political context in which those things become more and more difficult. Now, the political context in which most distressed neighborhoods find themselves now is one in which the nature of local politics makes it more difficult for them to mobilize, to participate, to express their concerns in policymaking. And therefore, the reform agenda that we propose in the book. Focuses not on specific policies that will improve life in distressed neighborhoods, but a specific political agenda that will improve the opportunity for uh, these neighborhoods to participate and express their own concerns in local policymaking.
1: Yeah, the book is is just so interesting, and uh, I, I learned a lot from it. Well, I always like to know what what's coming next. Uh, what's your next project? Is there a new book project uh, in the works, or is there a new direction for what you're working on? Tell us what's what. What do we have to look forward to from you?
0: Well, I'm I've got a couple of book projects, but to be brutally frank, you know, we've just finished, uh, you know, urban neighborhoods in a new era, and so I am currently sort of in the in the stages of trying to decide what my next project might be. But I'm 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 looking at two projects uh, pretty seriously now. I'm interested in thinking about. Um, how social welfare policy has been influenced uh, by the Obama administration uh, and I'm also interested in thinking about how uh, federalism uh, continues to be a really important element of the policymaking process in the United States despite the fact that most folks uh, now uh, think that its significance is diminished.
1: Great. Well, Robert Stoker is one of the co-authors of Urban Neighborhoods in a New Era, Revitalization Politics in the Post-Industrial City, published by University of Chicago Press. His long list of distinguished co-authors will will include on the website for you to take a look at. Bob Stoker, thank you very much for your time today. Heath, we, I really appreciate hearing from
0: you and, and uh, thank you for the conversation.